0: Hello and welcome to a special episode of CAPTalk. Talk. Thane and I were joined by leaders in the software and automation field earlier this month to discuss going back to work. We were joined by Joby Jenkins from SPT Lab Tech, who you'll remember from episode two of CAPTalk, Talk. Emily Fritch from Synthes, whose the software platform integrates the digital and physical aspects of the lab. Daniel Thomas from Arcturus, a cloud lab leveraging the power of automation. And David Damman from BioCero, whose Green Button Go software allows biologists to program and run automated equipment easily. Let's jump right in with our first question for our speakers, which was about the supply chain disruption during the COVID-19 crisis, starting with Joby.
1: I think there's obviously been a lot of stories of um, supply chains being impacted. We've been ready, ready for it. Um, Obviously, it continues, you know, test numbers are going up globally, not down. And I think these challenges are going to be here with us for you know many more months.
0: David, same question for you. How have you dealt with your customers in terms of this disruption to the supply chains?
2: Yeah, you know, it's um, a number of different ways. Uh, miniaturization is one. You know, the the world is using ninety-six well plates right now, um, and so you know, helping a move to three eighty-four or fifteen thirty-six. You know areas where lab- where labware uh, may be more available, um, and again, you know shifting instrumentation, right, uh, and and moving towards automation from manual work. It's a lot easier um, to pipette by hand into a 96 well plate, 384, 1536 is much easier when you have automation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so really um, looking at that, um, you know. Ways of ways of sort of getting around the current supply chain issues, um, to helping our customers network, um, you know, bringing in different suppliers, um, bringing together customers who are facing similar challenges and found workarounds. Um, so yeah, there's a lot in a lot of ways, but I think um, I think really communication is key, is you know, being being open to your customers for questions and being able to uh, help them network and link them together with uh, other suppliers, other vendors, and really sort of scouring. Um, those those vendors for available hardware and and labware
0: brilliant dan you have a very unique position you have uh, clients then who presumably have a preference maybe for the reagents they use or do you assist them in in uh choosing the reagents and has that been an issue for you
3: yeah, so I mean, I think there's, there's there's a couple of points there. One is with uh, we, with vendors uh, that we we use, you know, industry trusted. So we go for you know the highest quality reagents we can, and and generally that tends to come from you know like-minded companies who who understand you know understand their supply chains. But clearly these these are disrupted. I think um, from the customer side, you know, a big part of that is is tapping into logistics. You know, we have clients all across the globe, um, but global logistics have have needed to be maintained to to shift PPE, to shift food, you know, so a lot, a lot of, you know, logistics companies have continued throughout, which has men, made our life a little bit easier. Um, but I, I, I think, you know, where where we've not been able to access, uh, you know, reagents and things, you know, we've, we've obviously had to, um, you know, engage our, our clients as, as early as possible to, uh, you, know, you know, spend more time, um, maybe considering you know, the experiments thereafter. Um, yeah, we're we're definitely one of uh, the new breed of of, of expert-led, uh, CRO-type organisations where, you know, it's not just a uh, you know, fire and order out and your data comes back. You don't you know, necessarily uh, have have all the information uh, available to you. And and, and our, our you know our customers being virtual do need um, you know a, a lot of a lot of engagement. You know, they don't have their own labs. They don't have their own automation. And and, and mm-hmm. that's something that we're we're really trying to to, to push. Um, because then it, it's a case of centralised resources. Um, you you minimise the, the complexity of the logistics chains, and potentially that uh, enables more more customers, more uh, more industry, you know, more researchers to access you know the same quality of, of of experiment. I mean, this is this is our our watchword.
4: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just also wanted to make the attendees aware: if you do have any questions, please use the Q and A box, and um, we'll definitely um, open to take your questions. A um, next point is that I'd like to discuss, we talked a little bit about uh, the supply chain, but what's also very important um, is the devices that we work with, the automation. Um, so my question is really for you, Joby. Um, was there a specific strategy that you implemented to, uh, to really reboot these devices? And perhaps can you also share an example of what could happen on the engineering side of things if you just leave your device for I don't know how long and then start using it again? How is your experience been um, at SPT Lab Tech?
1: I think we're we're in a, in in a lucky position in our um, our equipment, all our liquid handling equipment at least, all uses um, disposable tips. Mm. So in terms of uh, you know the ma- routine maintenance of, of, of flushing and washing and priming and things like that, um, our instruments don't require that. So. You know, people, as you say, people are starting to come back to labs now, um, and they're, you know, they're calling us about consumable supply, etc. But we're not having any any issues with, you know, restarting equipment. I'm pleased to say. So I think having that disposable tip angle really makes, you know, puts us in a in a strong position. I think, um, depending on how well labs were closed down and how well certain, you know, bits of equipment were kind of prepared for mothballing if you like Mm. um will have an impact on how easily they're they're going to be brought back up uh so i think it's hard to give an example but you know if if systems weren't properly flushed through and you know washed in the correct manner before they were you know the labs were vacated then obviously you're going to come back to a problem um we've had examples you know not not related to the pandemic but, you know over the years support calls where you know just over the weekend labs are flooded oh. or you know a sprinkler's gone off over the equipment um your power outages has caused you know certain equipment to, to crash you know midway through a process so there's there's all sorts of, of reasons that you know equipment can kind of get out of kilter i think the the key thing is to make you know make sure that it's ready to go and you've run a few tests you know test experiments before you kind of put your reagent your precious reagents that you've a long time sourcing and your precious yeah. pipettes tips that you spend a long time sourcing um you know before you you, you put, put them on and, and start running but i think you know with, with adequate preparation things shouldn't take long to get back up to
4: speed yeah, absolutely i saw everyone nodding when you said that so i think that's that's definitely true but um david at Biosero, um it's not just liquid handlers you work with work cells integrated systems that's a different story yeah, it's uh, yeah. The, every
2: every component you add increases the complexity. Um, so yeah, you know we've you know in, in this times we've we've taken systems that customers had from years ago, other vendors that have been mothballed, and um, retooled them with our software, um, you know, and repurposed them for you know, especially like COVID. Um, but uh, it's yeah, it's a challenge, right? It's it's going through each system, you know, on a on a device by device basis. They're often devices from you know various manufacturers. Certainly, recommend that uh, anyone dealing with hardware, you know, have some preventative maintenance done ahead mm-hmm. of time. Um, work with your you know schedule schedule the service engineers to come in you know to look at those devices. You don't want to deal with them in the middle of an experiment. Grease tends to you know dry out. You know, actuators get sticky. Um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So so yeah, definitely. Prime cycle test, um, you know do dry runs before before adding your precious reagents. Um, the other thing is get your it um, team you know ready there 's probably been a lot of software updates mm. that have been pushed over the time, and you might find you don 't even have access to your system um, so there 's a lot to, a lot to think about ahead of
4: time absolutely, yeah, Emily, um, a lot of liquid handlers that you guys are working with. Um, in the R&D. How has that been affected? Uh, How is it when you guys come back into the lab? Is it so that you uh, personally go into it yourself? And also I can imagine your experiments will be affected as well. It's not so that you can come in and say, you know what, I'm going to run this experiment straight away.
5: There's a lot of stuff that you need to do. No, there was definitely a lot of planning involved, but we were actually really lucky that we had an amazing lab team who really put a lot of effort into shutting down everything properly when we knew mm. we were going to go um, and be shut down for a while. So everything was in impeccable state, which meant that it was a lot less issues when we had to uh, restart everything. That being said for liquid handlers, for instance, like the the Tekken who use, um, um, system liquid we obviously washed everything made sure that everything was fresh we did a couple of runs also on all the different robots um a couple of dry runs to make sure that everything was moving the way we're supposed to move that it was interacting with our software the way we're supposed to uh, happen yeah. and i must say that actually we had No major issues, which considering that we have quite a few robots and that things can go wrong um, (laughs) Was actually um, surprisingly good and we were able to get back to doing actual um, Experiments uh, with let's say meaningful uh, um, samples um, Fairly quickly, but it was that being said um, We should not underestimate the amount of planning that was involved also in reopening the lab when we started discussing it It was weeks before we actually came back in to make sure that everything would happen properly. For instance, things that necessitate gas, you need to make sure that everything was still um, in order from a health and safety point of view, what would be acceptable. So yeah, definitely not something from one day to another, you could just decide that, fine, I'll just go in. Um, Planning was involved, yeah.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Over to you, David. Yeah, uh, we've also seen a large number of cloud labs emerge over the last few years. Not just our tourists, but also Stratius, uh culture. Uh, are we seeing a trend towards more outsourcing there? And Dan, tell us a little bit. Who who's using these labs? Who's using well, not specifically your labs, but who's who are the types of companies using these labs? And uh, are there companies that still keep a little bit of automation in house?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's. You know, we we're agnostic of, um, of of client base. I mean, uh, essentially. Uh, the, the majority of our early clients have been virtual, so they don't have a lab, and it's it's increasingly expensive to get laboratory space. You know, kit is expensive. You know, you need a, a fairly sizable bank balance just to get started, um, and this is something that, that limits limits access, and you know, clearly that's a that's a challenge. But um, you know, for us, um, we've had you know great traction with with the biotech uh, small, medium you know, biotech industry. Pharma uh, are slightly more reticent. I mean, that, that's kind of understandable. They've got a lot of, a lot of automation themselves. Um, and from my you know, previous career in, in, in large pharma, um, you know, a, a big proportion of, uh, of time is, is devoted to, uh, you know, technology platforms. And, and you know, it's, it's something that is, is, they're reluctant to let go a, a lot of the time. Um, I think externalization potentially has a, a bit of a, a misnomer associated with it. And it's, it's, a, it's a loss of control. Uh, I, I think a big part of of what we're trying to engender uh, a change towards is you know, the perception of uh, of cloud labs and uh, externalisation in general is one to be grasped. And I think you know we're we're, we're coming through uh, a, a pandemic at a time where uh, I think a lot of companies are starting to reevaluate what their contingencies need to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if you want to continue uh, running experiments and you're not allowed to move around, uh, you know, the, the location in which you live. Um, it becomes increasingly difficult to do this. Um, But if you can send protocols, send reagents, uh, and we can code uh, experiments uh, in in as little as a few hours uh, to to run faithfully, um, you're you're almost guaranteed to to retain uh, access to data. Um, And we we can either provide that as as raw data, so companies that want to retain ownership of the analysis, um, obviously they need to write these things up, you know, they can do that but all the way through to you know, automated data analysis pipelines to provide clients with you know, fully analyzed data packages so you know i think this is a, a future trend that we will see increase
4: yeah this is a, it's quite interesting because we've got a first question from the audience is directed to you then uh, and the question was really around will the pandemic help improving outsourcing of experiments to companies and if yes how would that change um, I think it's
3: it's a change that's long overdue, so I, wh- whether it was uh, underway beforehand it has certainly accelerated. So I, I, I would say yes, I think you know, companies are now uh, I think probably more uh, open to considering uh, who, they, who they work with. I think collaboration is is a key mm. uh, component <clears throat> of of what we're trying to to drive. Um, you know, these are not uh, experiments that are thrown over the wall to somebody to be done to be thrown back. You know this is a truly collaborative environment. Uh, and I think you know, with with the experts that we have and and, and others, yeah, you know, within the four walls of, of of Cloud Labs, we can we can certainly assist in uh, maintaining a continuity in research. Uh, and, and more importantly, I think you know, the, the use of automation really drives uh, towards the heart of irreproducibility. You know, mm. it, 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 we're looking to eliminate it you know, largely. The data has to be made uh, available to all. Yeah. Um, so that we can make the decisions that are that are, are necessary. And, and that only happens with with high-quality data. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a future trend that will continue.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I've got another question from the audience, from Fisha Gupta. Um, and I'd like to start with Dan. His question is really around the growth stage of um, experimental automation today. Um, how much do you see it grow in the next five years or so? Is it a trend, as we already talked about, or how do you see experimental automation being really push through in, in the next coming years
3: um i think well it, it's definitely going to grow um i think you know we, we've got as a, as an industry to uh, accept that you know the variability conferred by a human um is is unsustainable mm. um you know the amount of research that that can't be reproduced the amount of research that is you know, that, that leads to wasted wasted effort both uh you know, human effort uh financial uh, environmental. All of this is is, is stuff that, that leads to uh, a, a crippling failure rate. Um, so I, I think it will continue, but I think you know a big part of that is going to be uh, sustained by uh, a transparency that allows us to share data, you know, demonstrate that robots you know are not you know, essentially being deployed uh, to uh, remove jobs from humans. You know, there's a lot yeah. of activities that humans still do uh, infinitely better than a robot. Um, you know, in, in integrating data sets. From across you know, a wide range of experiments, um, is clearly something. Um, you know, designing an experiment, I, I, I certainly you know, recall you know, dim distant past of you know, actually having to design my experiments and sitting down with the literature to do that. Mm. Um, but you know, we, we we read so little literature these days. Yet you know, the amount that is is produced is staggering. Um, you know that, that design, that time to think, that time to consider, um, we have to we have to get back. And the only way to do that to protect you know, the most valuable resource that companies have, which is their people. Um, yeah, we, we have to embrace uh, yeah, the, the collaborative externalization that is is now emerging.
4: Yeah. So, so David, also like um, with this increase in automation, uh, why do you see this a software like 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 the green and go being so instrumental, so important to really push this next level of doing science forward?
2: Yeah, I think I think the key here is that automation is not only increasing, but it's also pushing further into so the development um, and assay development side. And so that people are using automation earlier in their processes, right? Mm. But the key is not just instrumentation and not just the devices, it's the data automation. It's, it's managing those workflows, whether they're a manual operation, semi-automated or fully automated, so that you have seamless integration of your data and, and that data can translate, um, you know, again, this, this deals with the reproducibility issue, but it also um, sort of requires a psychological shift in the way that we think about, you know, mm. about the work that we do. Um, we need to be focused on, you know, applying our resources where they're most effective and then, you know, using the latest technologies and, you know, the right software to help drive that workflow, that consistency. Um, you know, so, and again, you know, often people think about automation purely as, a solution to throughput needs, mm-hmm. right? But really, both both that both data automation and you know physical automation is really about you know consistency and reproducibility, um, and you know the more the more integrated your manual workflows are with your software, um, you know at, at any stage, you know the more consistent your data will be, and you know the better results you'll have as you transition those operations to. Automation when your throughput needs do
4: increase. Yeah, um, Emily, can you follow up on that a little bit? Because I think you also mentioned a lot of things that you at Synthes are working on in that aspect as well.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I agree with everything that has been said. It's true that there is a need for a mentality shift um, for a really long time, and I'm not really sure why. I think biologists is really um, pride themselves into being excellent pipetters. And I think this needs to change <laughs> mm. because um, actually if you've done a PhD, if you've done a master's degree, you're clearly more than just able to pipette and you should use your time more wisely okay. than actually uh, being able to pipette. So it's a good skill to have, but ultimately this is this is not what you, you should be doing. You should use um, the walk away time that automation provides you to really think your experiments analyze your data, and indeed for that you need excellent traceability, you need good reproducibility, and you need to make sure that everything is integrated in a way that um, you know the provenance of things, you know where things have been analyzed, when, in which conditions, and and really make sure that everything is contextualized. Yeah. And that's something that you get with automation. And even if some parts are manual, being able to at least link all the data together will be crucial, yeah. Yeah. And the metadata, really, because that's the thing. It's not just the data that you um, generate, it's how you've generated them and all the metadata that are associated, for sure. We'll
4: come to metadata in a bit. I just wanna go back to Joby, because um, I know in one of our previous conversations, you mentioned how important it is to have collaborations across different um, expertise, so software, hardware, cloud. Obviously you at SBT Labs are working together with Octopus and BioSero. Um, how does that collaboration really initiate it? Why is it such an important feature in the sense of um, making sure that your clients get the best out of all of three, your best of three worlds?
1: I think I think it's kind of summarized by what um, Dan, David and Emily all just said really. They all kind of alluded to this, this need for better reproducibility, better consistency, better integration of data um, and and the ability to kind of translate from kind of early stage experimental design right through to to screening and and having that, you know, having those things, making those things easier for people essentially and and that's really why, you know, we've initiated these collaborations with with all of these companies here is that, um, you know, we, we see what people need in the labs we know that that's what they, they'd like um but for them it's quite difficult to go and you know source a liquid handling vendor source a software vendor source an automation integration source a cloud lab you know there, there's a lot to do whereas if we can kind of say look we, we've got together with these guys and we've made it easier that the mm-hmm. software talks to each other you know we've we've proven our hardware on each other's platforms and you know your software can drive our hardware um your very com- comfortable and confident in the data generated um, using our liquid handling technologies. You know, it's more consistent at lower volumes, therefore it gives you that reproducibility. You know, all of those things kind of knit together really nicely from the end user perspective, and ultimately yeah. that's what we we're, we're all here to do. We're trying to make you know the scientists get get the science done more effectively, uh, more confidently, and more quickly. So I think for, for us it's a kind of obvious thing thing to be doing. Cool. Over to you, David. Yeah, I'd like to take this to
0: the, the, there's a question in the chat at the moment, which uh, uh, chimes well with the question that I had next. Um, Jesse Mulgay says, uh, do these clouds actually work? Is the remotely controlled cloud lab out of reach? Now, my question was going to be, how easy is it to kind of design an experiment and execute it once you've uh, you've kind of got everything up and running in the lab? Um, So I would like to ask this to Emily first.
5: So um, with that, um you can plan your experiment, um, you can design it, but you also really have the option, uh, we have a really detailed preview option, which allows you to see pretty much every single step of what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, which steps are going to be picked at what time. Um, you're able to see precisely all the volumes, which means that you're, and you're able to do iterations and very easily go back to the initial experiment, change um, and the workflow, change a few parameters, test it, and do all the in silico testing to a very deep level of detail, uh, which means that by the time you actually send something to the lab, you should be in a position where you um, you can't, you will never be sure, but you, you know, um, very uh, confident that what you will actually run will be exactly what you want, which actually in period of COVID has also been very useful because people have less time because they don't go every day into the lab. So they have less time to test things here and there. So being able to have that in silico preview and then be able to finally design and say, yeah, we'll run this. And then I'll go to the lab, and this is exactly what I want to have achieved. Um, is more easily accessible.
0: Brilliant, uh, Dan. You're probably the expert on cloud labs. Uh, do they actually work? <laughs> Tell me, does your does your company work there, Dan?
3: So, 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 uh, I mean, by by virtue of r- repeat orders from from clients, uh, yes. I mean, it's early days, but um, yeah, we're we're building a track record of of repeat orders. Uh, I think that there's there's kind of two two models that we're. We're largely um, following at the moment, which is you know, experiments that we have either built internally uh, and are making accessible uh, through uh, through our website, uh, and there are there are others where we will work with uh, with collaborators with clients to onboard their assays, uh, code these, and make them uh, essentially immutable. So you know the the the, the, the clients at hand can uh, order up uh, an instance of that of that protocol, and it will run the same you know today, tomorrow, next week next year, 100 years time, uh, assuming we you know, the robots are still, are still here. Um, and in essence, you know, by, by making them immutable, um, we eliminate the, you know, the, the, the human variability that comes from, you know, getting late back from a meeting, um, you know, to, to, to quench an assay, you know, it literally runs the same. You know, we 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 code it to, to follow um, environmental, uh, you know, the metadata, all of this is, is captured and tracked. So, you know, room temperature isn't just room temperature it's 23.2 degrees or whatever that happens to be. So we actually uh, record everything. uh, And the intention is really to to get to a paradigm where reagents are generated. We we don't make our own, so we buy them. We have QC, uh, logistics that we work with will ensure that those packages are delivered to us again with sample tracking uh, devices in them. So we know the temperature, we know the G-shocks, we know how long they've been sat on the the tarmac at, at Dubai International Airport or wherever we know how hot they've got. Once they get onto our deck, we know know, what's happened to them, where they've been dispensed, where they haven't. Uh, And and ultimately there's no point in in generating high quality reproducible data if everything that runs beforehand is variable. You Mm. know, it's it's just a very expensive data point. Um, And and this is something where we have to work with partners, we have to work with collaborators. uh, And what we're doing is is essentially trying to build what I've termed uh, an ecosystem of excellence, which is like-minded companies you know, those that uh, you know, subscribe to a very similar set of you know, ethical and operational uh, you know, uh, ro- you know, rules and, and regulations you know, sort of the, uh, you know, the the aspirations that we do um, in order to uh, ensure that the the product that we uh, deliver which is ultimately the data at the end uh, can be can be as as, as guaranteed as uh, as we would like it to be um, you know, that's that's really you know, in essence what we do uh,
0: Jesse has chimed in there uh, they were using the lab in San Diego that David built. Did, did you build a lab, David? Brilliant. <laughs> I worked. I worked with a with a uh, on a project there. Uh, the project was handed over to a cloud lab company. Uh, they say complete end to end automation is one thing. Remote access seems like a separate initiative. Um, is it? Anyone? That's just a question for the room. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: I, think. I think, I think, I mean, from my perspective, um, I've seen, I've seen sort of cloud labs, you know, the, the theory of them where you can kind of remote into a robot that's kind of just sat uh, ready to go, you know, day and night some, somewhere else in the world and you mm-hmm. can kind of remote into it and, and send it your experiment and off it goes. I think that's, that's a different proposition from, from what Dan's talking about. I think mm-hmm. to clarify, um i i, and I agree uh, with the question it's uh, getting that right is extremely hard um we've worked on some projects like that in the past um with with certain pharmaceutical companies which have been very successful in in certain areas you know for example chemis- chemical synthesis um but it was it was a very much a kind of pigeonholed um specific set of experiments very well defined i think having kind of open source here's a few robots bolted together and you can get them to do anything is is a misnomer. David, sorry, to cut you off, Joey. But David,
0: yeah, talking about kind of this remote access type of thing, is that something you're looking into at BioSero?
2: Yeah, so really it's about whether you're running sort of static validated protocols or um, able to sort of dynamically be able to, uh, you know, say drag and drop a new experiment and and execute it um, in real time. Um, that's definitely, um, you know, it's a technology that we have for our automated workflow systems, but it's one that I think is still, um, a ways out in the cloud space, the cloud space from what I've seen. Um, you know, the, when, you know, the, it's, it's, it's really about trying to abstract the hardware into, um, you know, into, into a protocol that can be, Um, really properly constrained. And I think that's where the the difficulty comes, right? Is that um, so much automation requires sort of intimate knowledge of the capability, the hardware, and most of the abstraction layers that have been built around that um, need uh, some human intervention to help sort of reason between, you know, the abstract, the idea of what, when you say, when you say transfer, you know, one microliter, that can be very different depending on the reagent that you're using the liquid handler that you're using and so taking that, that sort of knowledge gap that exists between the screen that you have you know in your web portal and a robot robotic system that's that's miles away is you know it's a it's a gap that everyone's working on bridging um, but i think it'll be it'll be it'll be a while before that is is fully implemented
0: yeah cool Thanks a million for that. And thanks Jesse for the question And as well. You can add a question to the Q and A box down the bottom of your screen. Thanks. Awesome.
4: Yeah, I just wanted to follow up with a little bit on that, David, um, because obviously like track and trace and uh, workflows become very important to, to really show bottlenecks and um, Green Button Go is, is, is a software that really looks into like the track and trace of different features that you already mentioned. Um, why is this so important in automation and um, why is it that we really need to know what is happening at what point, with what liquid and so on? Yeah, I think
2: the ability to capture all of the metadata um, you know that surrounds the the data points in your experiment is absolutely critical, right? And you know traditional data systems have been really you know they're really focused on where is it and what is it you know what's the concentration, what's the volume you yeah. know in this container. Um, they haven't been tracking the lot number of the seal that was used to seal the plate. They haven't been tracking the user that, you know, set up the reagents on the liquid handler before the run. Um, and all of these feed into, you know, again, it goes back to the previous discussion of reproducibility, right. And, and really understanding when you had a, when you have a failure of an assay, is that a failure because say the compound, um, simply wasn't, wasn't designed right, or is it actually the process? And so I like to, to break that, you know, you have the, the sort of the assay results, but you also have the process data occurred. What mm-hmm. instrument did it occur on? What reagents were used? Who did it? Who set it up? What was the ambient temperature in the room? What was the, uh, you know, the amount of ambient light? Um, everything that goes into that. So um, our Green Button Go software um, can track absolutely everything that occurs on a system and, uh, you know, push it and, and manage it through our data services and really integrate with those existing legacy data systems, um, but but sit beside them and capture that data that is not traditionally captured. Those existing data systems that may, they may codify your business rules, but
5: mm-hmm. they don't
2: capture the detail that you really need if you're really working on a project that is gonna take advantage of the new advances we have in machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, you know, so we really need to be able to you know, to feed those systems with properly contextualized data um, if we're really going to make better decisions in less time with more data. Absolutely.
4: Amelie, do you want to add anything to that?
5: Yeah, I think, I mean, going back to your question, actually, I don't think that's true just with automation. I think mm. in general, we need better contextualized data because even if you do things manually, Um, There's so many papers, so many things that have been published and so much data that has been produced over the years that is pretty much useless because no one knows how they've been generated, what were potential differences, what were batch numbers and things like that, that they make them unusable actually for... um, any AI or deep learning or you, you can't, and actually you've seen that even in your own labs, we're probably looking back at old lab notebooks. Um, no one can figure out what has been generated, right? So being yeah. able to really link what has been done from a liquid handling step which um, we generate in, in um, Antha, where you know exactly what is happening. But we also do um, data structuring, which means that the data that has been generated has, um, you have the raw data, you have the process data, so you're also able to see what happened there, and you're able to link it with what was actually happening on which robot, at what time, on, by whom, and so on. So this is really crucial to actually make it meaningful.
4: Mm. Absolutely.
0: Off to you, David. Yeah, um, I'm gonna move it a little bit slightly uh, and talk a little bit about low volume liquid handling because this is again, something that's been in the news a lot. We see it in diagnostics, especially for uh, uh, for COVID-19 um, and kind of screening in general as well. The companies are moving to more efficient, lower uh, volume uh, screening. Um, I can imagine it's useful in other situations. So I would like to kind of ask Joby, uh, uh some examples about where would low volume liquid handling kind of come in in terms of automation
1: i I think it's uh, you know it's been around for quite a few years but i uh, i think now and particularly the pandemic has kind of opened people's eyes to it more uh certainly that's what we're seeing you know with with reagent supply shortages and and tip supply shortages and as, as david mentioned the need to miniaturize it you know if you can do an experiment in one plate instead of four plates but you do the same amount of experimentation because you've moved from 96 to 384 um, then that's great but you need to miniaturize your volumes to, to fit the you know the experiment in the well so I think there's there's lots of reasons and I think part, part of it comes back to automation in general and the kind of acceptance and adoption of automation I think if you're going to do that which obviously the field needs and you know generally people do accept then why repeat what a human would do with a hundred microliter hand pipette pet when actually you've got a robot that, that can do it in less than one microlitre? Mm. Um, it saves you, you know, 99% of your reagent. Um, so there's, there's lots of reasons. There's lots of applications um, often, you know, if it's a, it's a precious reagent, a purified protein or a, a, a very, you know, expensive enzyme or a, a compound, you know, that you've, you've had to synthesize and purify and you've only got a tiny amount. There's, there's all manner of reasons where you, you're going to have a, a scarce amount of, of liquid um, in order to do your, as much experimentation as you can and i think you know automation helps with all of those things but it only really helps if you can do it in very low volumes because then you, you get all of that benefit so from our point of view you know we've, we've been a low volume liquid handling company for you know, n- nearly 20 years and i think it, it's good to see the, the world kind of opening its eyes to the potential of this and you know it's it, it, uh, a shame that it takes a pandemic to do that in, in, <laughs> in some cases, but um, it's actually, I think it's driving things more quickly in the right direction um, than they were going before. Uh, obviously, testing, just a very basic example that's on everyone's mind. You know, if you can miniaturize a qPCR test for a, for a COVID um, a test, then you can do more tests with less reagent, and um, you know you can use less plates, so you get your turnaround quicker because the qPCR machine's only got to do one run, not four. So it's really quite simple. Um, but it, it's good to see that you know that that's advancing in the right direction now. Hmm. Dan, are you
0: getting use out of low volume liquid handling in your in your lab setup?
3: Yeah, I mean I've I've been an advocate for for low volume. For, for for many years, not 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 largely for the reagent conservation, but but the uh, the, the types of experiments that can be run. Um, I I my my first dalliance was was actually with with inkjet printing, um, and I worked very very closely with Hewlett Packard over a decade ago uh, in the in the early stage design uh, and development of their D three hundred that's now commercialized I think through Tekan. So this is this is picoliter dispensing. So this is getting us down into uh, ultra low volume, high resolution. Uh, you know, print what you need uh, where you need it, uh, and complementing that with, uh, as Joby alluded to, uh, you know, the, the the liquid handling capabilities that they have, um, you know, the dragonfly and, and such like, which can can then span the gap from uh, you know hundreds of nanoliters up to to the microliter. You, you've you've got a uh, the opportunity to you know almost paint a picture. Uh, that that kind of resolution on a plate. Uh, I, I think you know, what what's what's very interesting with all of these technologies is you know, inkjet printing has been around for forty years. Uh, you know, the last count, there's you know, uh, an inkjet printer on you know, one in every six desks in the world. Um, that's been aw- awesomely successful. Um, you know the, the the dragonfly is is positive displacement. I remember using positive displacement for the pets twenty years ago. You know, these are technologies that are tried and tested. You know, the robotics that we use. You know, they might be have been you know, deployed uh, you know, a couple of decades ago for high-throughput screens, um, but Arcturus, we're not a high-throughput screening company. Mm-hmm. We are a high-volume data, you know, quality data company, so we will generate a much deeper, richer data set which might have you know, a million data points, but rather than being a million at N of 1, there are a million uh, you know, data points that potentially look at a 1,000 molecules in much greater depth. So I, I think we have to you know, look at automation not as a, uh, not as a dirty word, or not as something that is is very old old school, but actually as tried and tested technologies that we uh, repurpose, retool, uh, you know, for a 21st century uh, drug discovery industry that really uh, is 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 still, I think, living in uh, in you know 20th century uh, you know, laboratories. So I think this is something we, uh, you know, whether it's cloud labs, uh, you know, whether it's you know online, whether it's simulation, we need to get ourselves much closer to theoretical uh understanding in in the experiments that we do and free our time uh to actually interpret and and design those things much better
0: excellent it sounds like hand pipetting is going the way of the dodo and i used to like sitting in the lab hand pipetting (laughs) my 96 well plate. it was a meditative experience you know i think there's a lot of biologists uh who uh uh, as emily said definitely enjoyed pipetting and, and think we're excellent pipetters um I think I only missed one out of every six wells, so
4: i <laughs> You were very zen. <laughs>
0: it was fine until someone tapped you on the shoulder and you forgot where you were. <laughs>
4: oh, your experiment is done.
3: <laughs> I, 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 joking apart, I do think we need. that you know, there has to be some some mundane in our lives because if it if it's all high powered, um, you know, high high impact, high high, you know, mental mental stimulation, we will, we will make different mistakes. It's, it's not that I think that, that automation will solve everything. Uh, there are clearly experiments that we can't automate yet. Um, that's not to say it won't be. Um, but I think, yeah, you know, what we can do you know with automation is to remove a lot of the heavy lifting, repetitive tasks that largely, as you say, if you're, you know, every sixth well might be a mistake. Um, yeah, you know, that's a 16% error rate and I'm not sure that that would, uh, would fly here. So, um,
4: you know, we need to be uh, uh, cognizant of that. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're, we're almost out of time. Just wanted to go to our, our last point. And um, this is quite an important one because in the media in the last couple of months, we've seen, we've seen a lot about this integration of automation with machine learning and AI. Um, for example, Octores recently announced this collaboration in Silicon Medicine. Um, syntax was featured in a Nature Biotech article on active machine learning. Um, Biocero also uh, works together with Notable. Um, what are these? What are the best practices when it comes to really closing the loop of digital to physical? And what are the challenges and opportunities also for integrating all these systems? Um, so yeah, my question is really like, how do we close this digital to physical loop? And um, yeah, I'd like to start with with David Damman at, at Biocero. How do you see that um, being pushed forward?
2: Yeah, I think. Um One of the keys is, you know, as we talked about the contextualization and collection of all the metadata, but the other thing is being able to then feed that system and that that information, what you learn back into the experiment. Um, Mm. And so that's one of the great, um, you know, features of Green Button Go is the ability to really parameterize anything that you want. In your design and then dynamically run that even being able to to update your workflows dynamically on the fly. So if the first you know, X number of samples come back too high or too low. You can feed that, those parameters back and, and alter the experiment on the fly. So that ability to sort of, to really, truly close the loop on experimentation, I think is one of the really interesting, um, interesting things that can be done. Um, and that's going to have a lot of impact in the near future.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Emily, something closing the loop is something that you also are very much, very much involved in as well.
5: Yeah, indeed, we are working really closely with Microsoft Research uh, at the moment, and we actually have a, yeah, a case study together uh, working on um, closing the loop for the um, design, build, test, learn um, cycle and making it, it's, I think it's, as we've mentioned before, metadata and having good quality of data and reproducible and traceable is critical, but it's also making it as quick as possible so that you are, um, you're able to learn faster and therefore, able to iterate. I don't think, I think one of the the advantages also of automation and of having a system that is fully integrated is that um, it shouldn't take you as long to get the results. Actually, mm. you should benefit from it and be able to learn as you go and sort of re plan, re and be able to easily change. And it's worked very, um, very well with Microsoft, where um, We help them with the liquid handling part and being able to set up the experiment and change the parameters as they were learning about um, changes that they wanted to do. And on the other hand, and also data um, ingestion. And they were um, looking into systems to actually model what the biological question was right and and from there learning faster um so it's yeah i think this is also something that is quite important um and also maybe not just the speed of making things faster but maybe making things more meaningful
4: yeah absolutely dan can you tell us a bit more about the partnership within Silicon medicine and why that's so important for a cloud lab like Octorus? So, so, I think you know it, it's
3: very uh, symbiotic. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, machine learning algorithms will perform their greatest work on data that is uh, is accurate. Um, I think you know, we we've learned the hard way as an industry that um, AI is not this magic tool that will clean up data lakes uh, mm. and suddenly you know produce a a, a slurry of um, of gold. So, you know, I think you know what we have tried to do with within silico. I mean, they're uh, their launch, you know, their, uh, uh, their media uh, dropped last year of this uh, hit to candidate in 46 days. Um, I think certainly uh, set the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, you know, this, is a, this is a phase that largely uh, or you know, a- on average takes three or four years from hit to candidate. Um, I think you know, one of the challenges is you know, that, that th- those, those decisions are powered by high quality data, uh, you know, rich data sets Uh, not singular, uh, linearly generated data sets. So where we see opportunity is, one of our our key uh, benefits is is cycle time reduction. We can run more experiments in parallel uh, than a human can. Uh, That means that we can generate that data faster, it's more reproducible, and therefore putting that into the machine learning algorithms, they will learn faster. Yeah. Uh, yeah the scary thing in there is if uh, you know insilico could could do this you know before we we uh, had, had worked with them uh, in 46 days now this is probably one extreme <laughs> um, it, it would be nice to know you know whether whether that would have been driven any faster but i certainly think you know the challenge that a lot of uh, r&d leaders in certainly in pharma have have challenged the industry to do is, is to reduce that cycle time to a year okay. uh, and that is definitely something that i think you know partnering a cloud lab with a you know an ai engine that really uh, you know, has the you know, its finger on the the, the the chemical chemical matter? You know, partnering those two AI engines and the you know, the the automation and, uh, and analytics together, uh, we should certainly you know see much better translation, certainly in in the decisions that are that are made, uh, and, and probably more importantly, it's it's stopping work early. You that know, that isn't going to work. We don't need to be holding on to it. There's no there's no you know value in a vested interest seeing a project you know last longer than it needs to. You know, we need to get out of things that are failing fast uh, uh, and focus all of our assets and our time and our energy on things that, that show a chance of success. So again, that's the dynamic around, uh, you know, hypothesis failure rather than protecting a hypothesis or changing it you know, to fit the data at hand. So, um, you know, independent labs, those that can uh, you know, generate reproducible data uh, across the board uh, will undoubtedly, I believe, win out uh, in, in in ensuring that we have a more productive future. It certainly can't get any worse.
4: Awesome. No, I think that's, that's great, guys. Um, it's half six. We've, uh, we've talked about automation, uh, cloud lab, software, metadata for about an hour now. I think that was very productive. Um, I hope the audience found it also very much interesting to also find the best way to implement automation, especially going back into the lab. Um, just before we go out, I just want to ask everyone one final tip, uh, if you can think of something um, for attendees, people thinking about going into lab and adapting automation. Who wants to kick off first, Joby? Final tip:
1: I, I think you need to think about what what you want automation for. Would be my tip it is rather than just go into it blindly and say, right, we're gonna we're gonna embrace this, we're gonna buy a load of robots. Um, it, why? You know, what are you trying to achieve from it? And we've all you know we've all given our reasons here today. But I think every lab's different. Every you know every user has a different set of requirements and a different skill set. Um, And I think, you know, you've got to think quite hard about what, you you know, what level of automation, you know, to David's point about hands of petting going the way of the dodo, I don't think that's necessarily what we're all advocating. I think, (laughs) you know, there's, there's, there's some tasks that robots are great at, um, you know, and there's some things that humans are, are terrible at, and if you can automate one of them, great. But I think, think, think about what and why you want automation, reach out to experts like us, and we can help guide that decision. Um, but but don't go into
4: it blindly. Awesome, Dan. Um, why Cloud Labs?
3: Um, well, f- for me, um, particularly as we go back to work after a pandemic, you know, con- consider your most valuable resource, and it, it's the people that work for you. you know, at the end of the day, you know, automation can be can be replaced. Um, you know, humans and the experiences they've got are, are far more valuable. So, you know, deploy them, you know, to the things that they are great at, and and you know, protect them from you know the things that automation can can alleviate. So it's the heavy lifting. Uh, So for me, whether that's virtual companies who need us or whether that's large pharma, biotech, who who could do things more with the the resources they've got by by letting go of some of the the more routine. Um, This is is an opportunity, I think, that has uh, landed in our laps to to reevaluate the industry where we are. Uh, And I think we will look back in in years to come as a a, a watershed, I think, prompted by a pandemic pandemic. Um, but I think it, it sometimes, you know, it's, it's that adversity that prompts us to think a little bit more mm. critically about about what we, you know, what we prioritize. And I, I hope we come out of it prioritizing people uh, and their time uh, above uh, above the uh, you know, the routine. Um, we'll yeah. see. Awesome, Emily.
5: I'd so, say take time to design your experiment properly. It's okay. Automation will help you, but it will, it's only as clever as the person who's designed the experiment, right? So um, plan well. Take time to think about it. And if you're wasting a day on planning, it's not wasted. It's useful because that means you've really considered every option.
4: Awesome. Last but not least, David. Yeah, I think I just want to make the point that
2: automation evolves or needs to evolve and change too, right? We often, Purchase automation and use automation with sort of one one experiment in mind, but your science changes and technology changes. Um, so pick a partner um, for your automation needs that can help you evolve your systems. Right, it's not a one-time buy; it's a long-term relationship with automation. Um, and
4: and finding the right uh, right company to to help you with that is is really critical. So. Well, thank you so much, um, Emily, Dan, Joby, and David, for, for a great discussion. Uh, and of course, also like to t- uh, thank the audience for their participation, questions that we got in, some really good questions. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the event and we'll uh, hopefully see you again soon. Um, if you do spare a couple of um, minutes to read, definitely have a look at the Back to Work uh, Maximizing Automation article, being published by SPT LabTech. Um, I would also encourage you to do have a look at all the companies' websites, see what they're doing, and also have a good understanding how they could help you uh, get back into the lab. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, everyone, and uh, hope to see you soon, and have a good week.